You're listening to Coming of Cage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Coming of Cage podcast, your Nicolas Cage movie review podcast. I'm one of your two hosts, Derek. I've got my buddy Ryan here. Hello. 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 And this week we are talking about the 2000 flick, The Family Man, starring Nicolas Cage, Tia Leone, Don Cheadle, and Scully from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yep. (laughs) Wasn't he in one of the other movies too? Was he? Maybe he was? I don't know. I'm pretty sure like in our last, one of our last two reviews, we said that he had like a single scene or something. That's funny. I got to look into that then. But he he does in this one, doesn't, I don't, he has a kind of a line that, if you don't have the subtitles on, you might miss. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, I've been looking forward to this one because this is one I definitely have seen before mm-hmm. and I've referenced it around you before, but you didn't really get the reference. And so I'm glad that we're going to finally get to discuss what it came from. And if you're listening and you want a little sneak peek of what that reference is, this is a really popular meme, like early YouTube days from this movie, <laughs> which this movie came out in 2000. So that's right. Um, not that old back then in the early youtube days yeah yeah this was this movie still has the you can you know run up to the gate at the airport type cliche which i don't say cliche is a bad thing it's a little sad that we can't ever have that anymore but you could back then and they used it a lot yeah that's true so the family man is a fast lane investment broker offered the opportunity to see how the other half lives wakes up to find that his sports car and girlfriend have become a minivan and wife. Yes, it's very Scrooged, if you've seen Scrooged, <laughs> or any of the other kind of, you know, modern takes on uh, on that story. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so this was always pitched to me as, a, as Nick Cage's Christmas film. And for those who don't know me, I, I'm Jewish, my family's Jewish. I don't get super excited about Christmas films. Yeah, there's classics. There's Home Alone. There's, you know, Jingle All the Way, Nightmare Before Christmas. But I tend to avoid Christmas movies. This one's barely a Christmas movie, I will say. Yeah, I mean, it's not like a super deep Christmas movie. But I I mean, I don't think that's really a fault of it or anything. It's just. No, I'm more. I probably would have seen it sooner if it had been framed a little differently. You know, to me, like I didn't even know Don Cheadle was in it. It's not like a big role, you know, or anything like that. But I love him, so it's always good seeing him. Did something. you know, like going into the movie, like when you went to start the movie, did you know Don Cheadle was in it? Or no? Oh, I really? Knew... So you hadn't looked at anything for the movie, really? No, I did. I, I knew it was it was Nick Cage's Christmas film. That's all I knew, and okay. I knew it was from around the year two thousand. I wasn't even a hundred percent sure on that yet. So that was it. I went in basically blind. Gotcha. Yeah. So it was a pleasant surprise seeing him because, I mean, he's one of the first you know things you see, like, you know, five, seven minutes in, give or take. Yeah, so that was that was nice. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um. So I know you tend to take notes. I do. do. I, have, I have notes. You have notes. Do you, do you want to start us off with your notes? Sure. My first note is I like his sweater. <laughs> 
Um, that's really funny because I noticed the sweater. I don't know that I liked it either way, but oh, it certainly looked, liked it. it looked like a cozy sweater. Early 2000s fashion. Yeah. And listen, the older I get, the more I like cozy sweaters, whether they're actually fashionable or not, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, I just want to feel like I'm wearing a blanket all the time. That's perfect for me. That's fair. Even that's if fair. it's not in fashion. Uh, <laughs> my second note here, I need to mark these off, is better hair in this movie too. Because yeah, he, his hair looked good in this movie, and some of his movies it, it doesn't. Yeah, he looked pretty good in this. So the movie starts off in the well, it's I guess in the past, even though the movie is mainly a jump ahead, but it takes place early on, right? He and Tia Leone are dating, and I guess they haven't been dating very long, and he's gonna go to London for this big internship. And at the last minute, she tells him not to go, and it's really sad. You know, and he's I felt like he was a little uh, dispassionate in that conversation, you know, like, yeah. yeah, they had talked about it before he references that and they had come to a decision. But like she's crying right there in public in the airport and he seems barely affected by it. Was that just me? I mean, yeah, he doesn't seem like it's it's like a, a thought that he's going to not go at any point. You know, yeah, he's committed. He's going on that plane. And, you know, I guess, you know, she believes that they're going to break up. Right. You know, long distance is hard, especially when you're across the pond. And he's like, no, no, it's going to be great. It's just a year. It's going to be great. Right. And then we jump ahead 13 years and he's, you know, living in this ridiculous penthouse in Manhattan. Yes, and I believe this is the scene where he's in his underwear singing and dancing <laughs> opera. Oh, uh, pretty much. Yeah, it, it starts with he's in bed with this other woman who it was unclear if they were on a date or if he hired her. That was unclear to me. Oh, I never really got the feeling they hired her. I just got the feeling that he was kind of like a playboy, like they were trying to make him like a Tony Stark type where he could get all these women because of his money and whatever else. Not necessarily that he was hiring prostitutes that's what I thought they were going for. But there was a couple of lines where it sounded like she, I don't know what wasn't sure if she'd be back kind of thing. Right. Well, know. if she, but, but if you're a one night stand, then you're not sure if you're going to be back too. Yeah. It was, it was just a little ambiguous. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's really important but to the character no. or anything, but he is, this is then he starts dancing around singing opera in his, yes. his underwear, yeah. which is not the only scene where he does that. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. My next note says uh, Danny Elfman question mark because uh -huh, it said uh -huh. music by Danny Elfman. Music I was by very surprised at that. Yeah, you know? that man's everywhere. Apparently, um, he doesn't. He's. I think he, his tone is suited well for a holiday time of year movie. Just you know, I think it, he fits that really nicely. Yeah, you know, um, but but like you skipped over the whole penthouse though. Like this thing's ridiculous. This penthouse is like three times the size of my actual house. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was, it was he's rich. Wild. Like that's well, how they showed he was rich. It's interesting because he is rich, right? And he works really hard, but they also show him like early on anyway, in this, in this initial kind of bit, they show him to be a nice person. He's very friendly. He says hi to everybody. He engages with everybody. He doesn't at any point come off as like, snobby yet it's not until things change that he actually seems like a jerk i thought that was interesting yeah i i'm skipping ahead a little bit but yeah uh i 
a couple notes ahead, I have one that says at least he's not a complete jerk in this one greeting doorman because he like leaves the building mm-hmm. and he knows the doorman's name and greets him fondly. And yeah, so but the complete not a complete jerk thing that'll that'll come up again because it <laughs> turns out that's not entirely accurate. No, no, not quite. My next note between those says Diet Coke. Because when there's a board meeting that he's at, when uh-huh. they're like reinforcing how hard he works, if you listen to our last episode in Rage, he like talks about being a working man and blah 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 all the time. And in this one, clearly, like they, he has a stereotype for being like a hard worker, like playing a hard working man. Anyway, yeah. uh, when he goes into this board meeting, there's Diet Coke everywhere on mm-hmm. the table, which I thought Derek would you uh, would definitely pick up on because you know you're a fan of the sodas yeah and so i thought you know you would you would definitely notice that that's really funny i didn't i didn't notice that at all um that's funny i was wondering and it's actually referenced later in the movie uh in the end when he's like abusing his knowledge to try and get a job there yeah. which we'll get into he says something about you drink nothing but diet coke to the one guy or something mm-hmm. like that anyway yeah that is an, it's a good catch i just i didn't notice it uh yeah my next note just says don Cheadle. don Cheadle, man because who doesn't love a good don Cheadle? i love him he except in space jam (laughs) i did not love him in space jam although he was probably the best part sadly uh i haven't seen space jam space jam 2 yet but uh no he's usually like one of my favorite parts of anything he's in he kind of steals the scenes that he shows up in for sure and i wasn't expecting him so like it was out of left field i really loved it and for a brief moment between Nick Cage's character and the way we're introduced to Don Cheadle's character, Cash, I thought they were going a different route with things. You, you know, thought how- they were going to have him like get shot and then like go back and. No, I thought they were going more of um, um, trading places. Oh, OK. I thought they were going more of a trading places vibe. Gotcha. You know, where but but, you know, Nick Cage's character, uh, what's this? I can't remember his name. Jack, Jack. He's he hasn't shown to be really a jerk yet. So that wasn't really working out for me. So I was a little confused about what they were doing at that particular point. But, you know, it's answered fairly quickly. That's true. It was a cool scene, though. I really liked the way Jack tries to talk cash down. Right. Like there's a gun involved. There's like a woman with a baby in there. It's Christmas Eve late on Christmas Eve. He's just there getting eggnog for, you know, for himself. And he like interjects and he's like, I'll tries to like resolve the situation by buying the ticket off of him. And I just thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah. It's a, it's a good way to handle it. I mean, it shows that he's a savvy businessman and he's good with people, mm-hmm. you know, and it shows kind of establishes how he got to where he is and that he's not just like a, you know, he, he he didn't get there with no skill. He got there with this with a specific set of skills. Right. Kind of like yeah. in Rage, he had a specific set of skills. <laughs> Different skills, I think. Lots of uh, throwbacks. Yeah. Lots of throwbacks to Rage in this one. <laughs> well, I think it's the other way around. Oh yeah, fair yeah. enough. Rage, Rage is a lot newer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do want to say we haven't really like given any kind of overall thoughts on the movie. I think people were are kind of shitty about this movie. I think it's actually fairly charming. Yes. I overall, agree. like I. I I don't like I'm not going to say it's underrated, but I do think that it's better than like a lot of people would say it is. Um, uh, it reminded me a lot of uh, what's the other one that we did that was uh, kind of charming. It could happen to you. Yes, it could happen to you. It reminded me a lot of that where like 
you know, I could see how people would like to talk a lot of shit on it, but in the end, I, it was kind of charming despite mm-hmm. the flaws in it. Anyway, I don't want to get too deep into that because I'm sure we'll recap our feelings at the end, but I did want to yeah. preface a lot of this with, you know, we're talking about a lot of stuff in the movie, but I did I, I did re- enjoy rewatching this movie and I remember enjoying it when I watched it back near when it first came out too. And you got the similar similar vibes. This is your first time watching it, so. Yeah, it was it I think charming is a good a good a good descriptor for it because it is it is a it's a charming cute film that mostly is a feel-good film you know like you said we'll, we'll get to some of the stuff you know uh, at the end there's a couple of things that kind of take me off that tone a little bit but overall like it was nice it was a nice movie yeah and you being a family man having kids of your own and everything <laughs> else i'm sure you know some of it probably hit a little, a little closer to home than it, uh, it did for me it did it did there's definitely some some extremely emotional parts of this movie i I think it was fairly well done. Okay. Good to know. I'm glad that's accurate. My next note says two Nick Cage under underwear scenes so far. <laughs> I'm glad because I think we're like 15, 15 <laughs> minutes in, I think. And there's a second Nicholas Cage in his underwear. And you know what? Kudos to him. He was in great shape for the movie. Oh, yeah. He looked yeah. great. But I mean, they were really trying to get that uh that female audience to show up for this movie. It's it's funny because it's this, it's like this tight little black underwear. Right. And yeah, boxer briefs, I think, which weren't that popular in 2000. So, I mean, he was in good shape. Yeah, this was definitely like, you know, only a couple of years removed from, you know, Conair and all that. And so like he's in pretty good shape here. He's just about to do National Treasure, you know. Yeah, probably probably peak Nick Cage fitness level. Actually, I think Ghost Rider was probably peak Nick Cage fitness levels. That's fair. He was pretty cut in that one. That's true. That's true. Um, Okay, my next note says I like the Ferrari. And for those of you who. Well, nobody. I don't think I talk about it much in the show on the, any of these shows. But if you listen to our podcast, maybe I've mentioned it before. But I do like cars. I'm a car guy. But uh, Ferraris and you know supercars are not exactly my cup of tea. But I did uh, this particular Ferrari kind of brought me back to high school with because this was in 2000 and 2000. I was still in high school uh, and just learning to drive. And uh, yeah, the, I, I did like this Ferrari, and that was kind of like the supercar back then, you know. So supposedly good color and i liked the interior yeah it's a good looking car it really is and supposedly he owned basically that exact same car but sold it right before production started wow yeah supposedly i haven't i mean he has good taste apparently yeah 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 so then so yeah this is that was when don Cheadle like picks him up this is like the second time we see the ferrari and i was like you know i really like that thing so i put it in my notes but uh don Cheadle picks him up but you've kind of skipped over the big like reveal the big crux of the film here though. So, you know, he tries to, Jack wants to save cash. Right. You know, and he, there's this interesting conversation about how, you know, um, Jack says everybody needs something and cash goes, well, what about you? What do you need? And Jack basically says, you know, nothing. I'm, I'm fine. Everything's perfect. My life is great. And that's like the sign that Cash was waiting for, right? That, you know, I'm going to teach this dude this lesson that he doesn't know what he's missing out on. And so this is what the big change of the movie is, because that night when he goes to sleep, he wakes up in a house in New Jersey. Yep. And he's next. He's sleeping next to Tia Leone, you know, his his, I guess, college sweetheart. And they've got two kids. One's like an infant and he freaks out. Totally freaks out. It's Christmas morning, completely freaks out, leaves 
in the family minivan, right? Which is just, you know, a complete different reality here and goes downtown where he learns that like, he doesn't have his penthouse anymore. And the door guy at the, at his office has no idea who he is and won't let him in. And that's when cash shows back up in the Ferrari. And it's just like this total freak out moment where he just has no idea what's happened. Yeah. Yeah. I, I th- another rage reference here. I'm pretty sure that minivan is like the same minivan that uh, we see a ton of in rage. Anyway, um, yeah, I you know what I think. What I one thing I really liked about this movie was they did a good job of that, and they don't always do this in this type of movie um, of like how much he freaked out and how like it felt very real. Mm-hmm. Like how somebody would really react in this situation. A lot of times they like make the person act like they're blending in or whatever, or like, you know, act like they're okay with it. And then they freak out in private. That's probably not how it would really go down. Like it would be a really weird, uncomfortable freak out. And I think they did a really good job of capturing a, a realistic feeling. Yeah, I completely agree. Like I, I, he sells the freak out. I buy into the whole thing. And there's a little, you know, there's, there's some caginess in there a little yeah. bit, you know, which I think is fine in this, in this circumstance, because like it is, two completely different lives that he has just moved between. And I think the freak out is really important because yes, he's waking up next to this woman that he knows he's waking up next to Kate, but they haven't seen each other in over a decade. It's been 13 years on his side, but in her side, they've been married all this time. They've been married the whole time. In fact, he was only gone for a day. He came back from London the next day in this timeline. Right. Yeah. And so like, she doesn't understand what's going on. Right. So I love how, like we get the, you know, she's been calling, you know, all over the place. And she even called the hospital. Cause she just assumed like, why would he leave and not come back on Christmas Eve? Something's obviously wrong. And so just both sides of that, I think just sold it really well. It was very, it felt very real to me. Yes, I agree. And like I said, that's, I really appreciate that. Cause we've both seen a lot of movies in the same type of scenario where you, you don't really feel that same energy, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I don't know if that was more Nick Cage or if that was more like just the way the director handled it. But uh, in any case, it was really well done. And I appreciated that a lot. Um, my next note is this guy is a good friend, which I believe is talking about when he has the freak out and he ends up at his friend's place. Arnie's. Yeah. And, and even though he's not making like any sense to what this guy believes is going on, um, the guy is like there for him, ready to talk to him, giving advice and like reminding him of the times when he's helped him. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was that was nice too. Again, another nice thing in this movie was that fa- friendship felt very genuine. He was he was a good friend with no ulterior motives. He was just being a good friend throughout this whole movie. And I think, and so this character Arnie is played by Jeremy Piven, who's been in a million things. So I'm sure you'd recognize him. Um, what what I think is really important here is this is helping set up the dichotomy between these two lives, right? That the Jack, the Jack that we are introduced with, you know, in New York and in, in this, you know, firm and everything like that is incredibly successful from a professional standpoint, but he's socially broke, right? He doesn't really have friends. He doesn't really have family. He's got his work and his, and, and his penthouse. And that's, that's basically it. And then you switch it. And now he's got, you know, they make it out like he has no money, but they've got a real, they've got a, a nice house in the suburbs with a couple of kids. Like they're not like poor. Right. But he's also, he's got these good friends. 
Yeah. Right. He's working at a family business and he's on a bowling team and they all feel really close. They have these big holiday parties. It's supposedly he, you know, this version of, of Jack constantly looks forward to every year, you know, and so he's just he's rich in these relationships. And that's right. basically what the two choices were. Right. Do you choose the social side of your life or do you choose the professional side of your life? Those were the choices. Do you feel like you're where he is now in this that timeline, Derek? Do you feel like you're rich with friends and you're uh, making it work financially with your family? I mean, in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, yeah. Because there, are, look, there are absolutely times where my wife and I talk about, you know, the what ifs we had done, made different decisions, right? You know, I, for example, I was supposed to be a lawyer, and I was supposed to go to Washington University in St. Louis. I was accepted to their law program and and things like that, and I didn't do that because I decided. I didn't want to, and I'll, I'll go into that another time, but um, I didn't go that route. And if I had, who knows? Maybe your life would have been, so basically your life is like this movie, right? You picked the family side, whereas you could have easily gone the other way and had the lawyer side. And maybe you would have never met Rachel at that point. And, uh, you know, it would have been a, a totally different life. Yeah. And maybe you would have been happy then, but maybe something would have been missing. It's this this movie relates a lot to what could have been in your life. I think that's interesting. It is. It's really key. Like the movie really hits home to me personally. It strikes a chord and all that all those cliches big time for all of those reasons. And it also serves this is just a personal thing. It serves as a dichotomy to another really important piece of fiction like this, which is an episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation called Tapestry. I know Ryan's rolling his eyes, but in that episode, it's about how if you had the opportunity to go back in time and and change a decision to do something different, how you end up being a different person, that your decisions and your actions make you who you are, right? And so Picard is is you know going through that because he thinks he was too reckless when he was young. This movie is basically the same story with the opposite lesson of how sometimes the decisions you made, you know, in the past weren't the right ones. And if you had made just these tiny little differences, you would have had a more fulfilling life. Right. Cause Jack's not unhappy right. as, as the rich man, right. He's not unhappy. He's not a bad person. He's just missing something that he doesn't even realize. He's not even conscious of that. He's missing until he gets to see what it is. And for me, I feel fortunate that that's the life that I do have. I have that life. And that's the life that I want. I'd rather have that life, which is, you know, spoiler alert is what Jack decides by the end of the movie, right? That's the lesson learned. And so just personally, it was pretty strong. Well, that's, you can tell as many of those stories as you want, if, even though there's a Star Trek reference in there. <laughs> I, I like when you can relate the movies to your personal uh, personal life and give a little bit more than just a basic movie review. Anyway, I'm going to change the sign up here that says it's been nine episodes since we've <laughs> talked about Star Trek and change it to zero real quick because we were on a roll. I think that's our longest streak in any of our podcasts uh, in all these years. So nice job screwing that one up. Uh, well, you know, I mean, I provoked it. So whatever, you know, I can only blame myself. My next note says <laughs> awkward party feeding scene. Oh God! It reminded me a lot of uh, Batman v Superman when, like, he's shoving the Jolly Rancher into the guy's mouth. Man, so yeah, that that's uh, that's Evelyn, right? I think, yeah, um, yeah. So you know, it, it's funny because he comes into the party and, like, the first thing he does is beeline to the bar and just starts downing what 
I think it was scotch. It might've been. He's whiskey. still trying to f- figure out exactly what's going on at this point. So he's, he's still freaking out. Right. And yeah. he's only there because the alternative was for him to stay home alone with the kids. Right. And that for him is like the scariest possible thing he can do. Pretty much. <laughs> which, which that, that was hilarious to me. Um, uh, but yeah, man, that scene, the Evelyn stuff was weird, man. And right. And we'll get into some more of that later, but it gets a little more heated, but yeah, for this scene, it was, Man, I mean, maybe I just live a sheltered life, but I've never seen a woman come on to a man as like as straight on as Evelyn does in this movie. I mean, maybe I don't know if they were being heavy handed with it or if I just like like I said, live sheltered life. I mean, I don't know. Right. Because like he's married. She's also married. Yeah. Right. So like this is like two married people who they're, like they're all friends. They all hang out. They all see each other all the time. It's it, That's you know the picture that we're getting. Right. Is this is a tight knit group of people. Right. And like, yeah, man, that was just. Uh, that was and everybody so knows awkward. about it. That's what's really weird. It's like everybody knows that she's like wants him real bad and everybody else wants his wife. He right. talks about how like hot she is and amazing and a catch and all this other stuff, but he like she this other lady is like all over him. So, I mean, personally, I would have picked Tia Leone's character myself, but you know, if those were the two choices, well, you don't have Evelyn shoving food in your mouth. Maybe that's what <laughs> makes all the difference. <laughs> maybe, maybe it does. <laughs> My next note is walking dog in middle of street. Because for some reason, he's walking the dog. He walks the dog in this movie. Like, the dog needs to be walked. And every time it shows him walking the dog... Spoiler alert, because it happens later in the movie, too. But it, it he's <laughs> just ruined. walking the dog in the middle of the street. And there's no cars really coming or anything. He's just... It just shows him in the middle of the street, probably because I guess they think the lighting is cool with the street lights and stuff. But uh, this is a movie thing, though. It's not like this is always like this is a thing in film. And it's got to be just easier to shoot that way. I think it's the way the shot lines up, right? Because on the sidewalks, there's not as much cool stuff. But in the middle of the street, you have trees and street lights and it's very even composition on the shot right. and so i mean i get it but it just always bothers me why are they walking nobody does that no, i don't no. care if you're living on a street that gets no traffic nobody is walking their dog in the middle of the street right and he's waiting for the dog to go to the bathroom right like the dog's right. not gonna do that in the middle of the road dog's gonna take a shit in the middle of the road like come on no like that yeah but not that's gonna happen that's like i i just let it go because it's like it's such a common thing. It's basically a trope in films to, to have that be a scene. Yeah. Or multiple scenes in this film. Well, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My next note is I made the right decision to not have kids. <laughs> if, if, if you, know, if you've listened to our stuff before, right? I'm not uh, me and my significant other are not interested in kids. I don't, I mean, I don't dislike kids. I don't want any of my own. I'm fine with, uh, Derek's Derek has a wonderful kid that uh, is delightful to be around. I mean, would I want a babysitter? Probably not. <laughs> but like, am I okay with seeing her when we're casually hanging out? Sure, she's fine. She's she's charming. But Annie is such a wonderful, cute little character. No. I love that subplot where she thinks that the guy playing her dad is really an alien, and yeah, her dad's like, up in space. Like, kids are stupid. Was- I like, thought it was adorable. The, the kid's dumb. Like it's not an alien. Aliens. Well, come on. But he just stole of, your alien. Your dad's skin is wearing it around, and you're okay with that? No, no, no. He lo- just is like a replicate, like a replication. That's less you know? creepy. But she. But what it proves, though, like for the character, she's smart enough to know this isn't the right person. 
right and so she, they have to like team up together and she's like teaching them how and explaining how to do stuff and i just thought it was really cute i really she was well that's probably endearing. a different perspective there because you're you're a father but like i think i wrote uh, that note in the middle one of the scenes where like the guy's waking up and like all the kids are screaming and like slapping each other and like just being overall really annoying and uh I, that just reinforced my decision don't your dogs that do that the right decision no my dogs sleep through the night well, this was the morning. Yeah, my dog in the morning just want to go outside, and then they come inside and sleep some more. Oh, my dog uh, makes a bunch of noise. Well, morning. I know. Well, my dog's behaved, and your dog isn't. So, as much That's as I fair. love your dog. That's fair. No, my dogs have their problems, too, but they don't scream at me in the morning, first thing. Luna does. <laughs> uh, my next note it, uh, is elaborate tire shop. Because, like, maybe they had these in the early 2000s. I don't remember ever seeing something like this. And it's worth noting that I currently work in a a tire shop. Um, You just don't spend enough time in Jersey. I guess. But this tire shop is like a, I don't know. It's like a Macy's, but with like tires everywhere. Like they have a, they they have different division. Like they have a winter snow tires division. And then they have like a summer, like it's crazy. Neon lights and stuff like that. And literally all they do is sell tires and, uh, and put them on people's vehicles. And this is where he works in this timeline. Yes. And that's fine. But uh, it's just a very elaborate tire shop. And I was surprised to see that. And I don't remember those existing, but maybe they did. I wasn't (laughs) really like buying a lot of tires in the year 2000. So Um, I think, you know, it's supposed to be kind of a weird, quirky, unique kind of place because Ed's like a very loud personality, you know, and Ed, by the way, you know, is is uh, Kate's dad. Right. So this is the father in law, basically. So he's working for the family business and has no idea what he's doing. And look, I, I'm not an expert or anything like that, but I got to imagine you need to know a little bit about the field to be able to sell tires to people. I don't know. Is that yeah. accurate? I mean, you could probably wing it. It's not that hard. No. Okay. No. Okay. I mean, tires sell themselves. You just give people a price and tell them it's an all-season tire, and like they're <laughs> okay. I'll buy it. Uh, they just buy the cheapest one most of the time. So, fair. A little enough. insider insider tire knowledge for all of you out there. Don't you buy the cheapest tire. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my next note is I think when they go to the bedroom the kids are all put down put down not like euthanized but like put <laughs> put what they're they're put to sleep not euthanized again just like they're allowed to go to bed uh they're or they're put to bed which also sounds like euthanasia i mean they're sleeping is what i'm getting at and she comes up to the room and she's like the kids are all asleep and then she's like trying to seduce him right sure and and i my next note says questionable consent issues here yes. because there's some weird stuff and and we've talked about this in other movies and you know it's always a little weird i mean 2000 was different than it is today not that consent was less important then but the way things were portrayed in movies was a little different but like in her mind she's having or trying to have sex with her husband that she's known for all these years right it, but to him he hasn't known her at all and so he's basically a different person mm-hmm. and so that raises some weird consent issues i probably don't want to get too deep into it but it is a, an odd thing and to be fair he does not sleep with her in this scene no not not in that scene no it's certainly implied that they do at some point right um it's it was weird it felt weird to me too for for all of those reasons right because he knows 
that he's not who she thinks he is. Yeah. Right. And so if neither of them knew, then, you know, they're both just acting on their best judgment. Right. But he knows and she doesn't. That's a problem. Right. And I think we've done what? nine. This is our ninth episode. Eighth. Eighth. And I think four of the movies have had consent issues in them. I'd have to go back and check and think about it's that. more than more uh, than three. Like, yeah. I, it, it's very weird that, is um, weird that this is such a big thing. Yeah. But anyway, um, my next note is twenty four hundred dollars suit in the year 2000. That's like a twelve thousand dollars suit. I have to check inflation rates, but I feel like that's like at least a ten thousand dollars suit nowadays. So I actually thought that whole scene was going to go different. So, right, because they're at the mall, which is something my family did all the time back then. Yeah. And so, like, I can see it, like, in his eyes that he's just, like, he's dying being there. And all I could think of is, like, what my dad was like, like, if we were in line in an amusement park. is <laughs> basically the, what, the, what I was getting off of that. But what I expected to happen when Jack went to that area to look at those suits is I actually was expecting the salespeople to, like, push him out for not, like, assuming he doesn't have the money for it you were thinking like a pretty woman type scenario yes. and he's gonna go in yes. and buy a suit and they're gonna be he's gonna be like you work on commission right and buy it, the suit from somebody else I, I similar like i i never did i think he was walking out of there with that suit but i thought they were gonna go that kind of route with it rather than the route they went which is he wants to buy this suit and his wife is like no it's like three months of a house payment and he's like well you got shoes and she's like yeah they were 25 dollars." <laughs> i mean she has a good point like, come on jack like and th- that's where i'm like look i get it jack's like he's you know the, the fish out of water and he's desperate and he's miserable but like he's also very smart understands finances and money why are you comparing a 25 dollar pair of shoes to this suit it's just that that's a little ridiculous dude but this is where he kind of comes off like a jerk and not kind of he absolutely is an asshole in this scene because he just goes off and shouts and yells in public in this store in front of the kids and it's just very uncomfortable and mean and you know, he just kind of apologizes later in the car. And look, I mean, it didn't bother me. I mean, it bothered me because it was uncomfortable. Right. But I think it was meant to be uncomfortable. Yes, yes. So, um, you know, he's a, if you think about the situation, he's in, of course, he's going to have a mental break at some point, because he, he, how could you not? I, I can't imagine a single person that wouldn't have something like that. Was it cruel? Absolutely. Was it a terrible timing yeah sure but i mean it wasn't it didn't take me out of the movie or anything it was definitely like something that was needed i think no it it fit it just brought home to me a little bit of the movies that we've talked about where he he kind of plays a jerk a lot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know he like even if he's you know the least jerk person in the movie because everybody else is a bigger jerk like it could happen to you everybody is an asshole in that film he's just the least assholey person right in this movie you know he's he may be justified in the freak out but it's just interesting how like in these eight films that we've talked about he's kind of a jerk at some point like in all of them yeah i think this movie uh his jerk levels like go up and then down and then up and then down and up and it's like a roller coaster but I'll get to it in a little bit in my notes, but there, I think there was some editing issues in this movie that where like they edited scenes to where they weren't supposed to be. And that made it Mm -hmm. seem more like this. That's interesting. Um, 
but my next note is Nick Cage and Tia Leone are both great in this because I thought, yeah. despite the movie's lukewarm reviews, uh, if you go to IMDb, I think it's like 5.4 out of 10. No, or no, like no. That. It's a 6.8. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. Rotten Tomatoes is not, I mean, they're, it's very middling scores on everything. Um, but I thought they both did a really good job. Um, it is a 42 on Metacritic. Meta, yeah. Metascore, excuse me. Um, like I said, middling. I, you know, yeah. it's all between basically 40 and 65 or or 70, somewhere in there. I agree but, with you, though. I really like them both. I think that they had some good chemistry. I thought they worked well together. I really liked Tia Leone, so I, I thought she was really good in this. She was great in this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. she's been great in most things I've seen her in. Very believable and just a good actress. Mm-hmm. I, we don't really see her much nowadays. but uh, Well, she's been doing um, Madam Secret- Secretary uh for the last few years now that's a lead role it's just not the type of tv that we would normally watch that makes sense yeah i'm sure she's great in it because it's it's a lead that she's been in now for well over 100 episodes but it's just not i don't watch that type of tv really um but yeah she was really good in it and you know just something we've talked about before is you know age differences in couples in film can be really skewed well in this case she is only two years younger than him. Right. It was way closer so, than most roles. Although she looks pretty young. She um, does look. Yeah. He, he looks a lot older than her. She's definitely aged a little, a little better. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they are like at a believable. Right. Know. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my next note is Scully from B99. Yep. Um, I don't even remember what he was playing at this point, but yeah, he has. Uh, he was in it. He's at the bowl. So the, the, he's so, okay. So oh, yeah, he's on the bowling team. He's on right? the bowling team. Yeah, because Ed's tires has a bowling team, and so and what, what I love about this is that even though bowl, bowling is a physical skill, right, that you have to learn, and Jack, this version of Jack, doesn't know it, and he's terrible. <laughs> And it's obviously the rest of these guys are good, right? We don't know how good, but they clearly expect triple digit scores here. And yeah, he scored I, a 70 or something. Is that what something they said? really low. I can't even remember, but it was just, oh man, it was so funny. It was such a good scene. And yeah, Scully's got, he's got like one kind of a line. He's, his arm is in a sling. Like, I don't know. Like he, he's just kind of there with the same haircut. Yeah. Nothing's changed in 20 years. <laughs> nothing nothing at all. That's uh, Joel McKinnon. Joel McKinnon Miller. That's his name. Joel McKinnon Miller. You, Scully. Uh, <laughs> so in this scene, he runs into Evelyn again. Yeah. Geez. And starts to ask a bunch of questions. Like, you know, and she says, so, my next note is uh, she has six sets of snow tires because she specifically says that she's gone she's bought six set of sets of snow tires so that she could have more interactions with him basically and i question that <laughs> somebody who has one set of snow tires because those snow tires were two hundred dollars a piece and a set is four <laughs> so that is how many wheels cars usually have it's eight hundred dollars <laughs> And she has six of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a mathematician, but that's a lot of money. And maybe she doesn't have a hard time with money, but even just talking about storing six set of snow yes, tires. That's my problem. Where I don't care are... how big your house is or your garage. <laughs> no right minded person is going to just be like, yeah, we'll just keep six sets of snow tires in our garage. She's got 24 tires laying around her house. Right. <laughs> I don't. That really bothered me. Maybe she has like a little go-kart course set up in the backyard for a kid. Right. And those, those are like, you know, the The crash, the crash barriers. Yeah, exactly. I have one set of snow tires in my garage and 
I wish they weren't there. <laughs> right? Like they take up a day. lot of space. Yes, they do. <laughs> anyway, that's probably that's just me ranting. But no, but yeah. but that scene is really huge because it harkens back to the earlier scene when Jack and Arnie first quote meet, so to speak. And it's because Evelyn and Jack have this conversation. He he actually asks the question, like, is there something between us? She doesn't know that anything's off. So she's being honest and she wants more. And she's basically like, hey, no one ever has to know. We can just fool around. And Jack goes back to Arnie and then is like, give me her address. Like he wants to do it. And Arnie has to kind of be there for him and stop him from like what easily is a horrible decision, regardless of the outcome here, right? Whether he wants to be in this timeline, not be in this timeline. This is a dude's life he's messing with. And it's just, yeah, it's just bad. Yeah. My next note is maybe I spoke too soon about him not being a POS. Yup. Okay. But this is where the editing issue stuff is where it started to come to light for me. So he's starting to show some change up to this point. Mm -hmm. He's starting to adapt more with the kids, um, you know, and start to actually like integrate into this. And then there's this scene which seems like a huge regression. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that's when I was like, okay, something's not right here. Well, when you go on IMDb, one of the goofs in the movie uh, is that Jack's friend has to get a triple bypass the day after the party. However, he is seen at the bowling alley a short bit later in the movie without enough days passing to recover from such a surgery. So my theory is that this scene was actually supposed to be way earlier in the movie before that surgery which would make more sense with the way he acted in it it would and there's other evidence of that type of problem where like there's christmas music playing but christmas is already over right um, you know and things like that and i kind of just wrote that stuff off not really really paying that close attention to it but reading the stuff later i think you're right and yeah. that would make more sense because it was disappointing to see him want to do that at this particular point i totally agree it felt so out of character based yeah. on what we've seen to him up to that point yeah so, so. I, th I think that's a, a good explanation that that does make it it makes more sense it's one of those things where studio involvement which you you hear a lot about studio involvement now you didn't really hear a lot about it back then but, but it was it's kind of there. it kind of makes you know what's happening nowadays has kind of made the general public aware of how much uh, the studio can change a film from what the director's original vision was. Right. Um, and so I think in this case, there were several scenes that were uh, moved around and mm. that affected the movie, unfortunately. Yep. Um, okay. So now we get to it. Now we get to the meme scene. The meme give me, scene. Give me some of that cake. <laughs> you want it? I want it. Give me that cake. It's there's like a, there was like a whole song in the early 2000s. <laughs> Have you seen it? I don't know that I have. I'm going to send it to you right after this podcast because it was super popular. I think it was on like Newgrounds or one of the, or E-Bombs World. E one of those sites World. where they used to do like the flash animations. Sure. It has like, showdown. Yeah. And it has like the character, like a characterized version of Nick Cage. It's like, it's all animated and like Tay Leone and it's a full song and they're like acting out this cake. It's so funny. After you've seen this movie, you're gonna love it. You wouldn't have gotten it All right, before. Well, we'll we'll post that to our feeds as well. Uh, yes. Comingofcage.com. We'll post it all out there. Yes, and so I mean, even apart from that meme, this scene is super uncomfortable. I thought maybe it wasn't for you, but like when they're like laying on the stairs and their faces are both smeared with chocolate cake and they're like making out and like not wiping the cake off their face. 
that was super uncomfortable for me. Like it wasn't sexy or like fun. Now when they were chasing each other and like, it was like this playful thing with the cake. That was cute. You know, everybody wants to have a relationship with their spouse where they're laughing and, you know, chasing each other and playing and having a good time with them. But then it just like got really uncomfortable and they started smearing cake on each other's faces and like grinding on the stairs. There were like two versions of me watching this scene at the same time, right? There was the one who's like, oh, this is cute. It's endearing. He's starting to fall for her kind of thing. And then there was also the man, they're making a lot of noise with the kids asleep upstairs. And, you know, like, what? Well, they're just going to wake the kids up. And then the scene just ends on a real down note. Yeah, because. She just wants to hear something sweet and romantic about how he loves her. And, and he's he, like, I can't wait to be inside you or something like that. No, it was some type of like bad girl line, you know, something that as a playboy oh, yeah. he was doing in New York. Right. And she doesn't want to hear that. And it's it pulls every, the whole scene apart. And that's the end of it. And it's just kind of sad, you know, yeah. and then he ends up by himself watching old uh, home videos you know, where he's serenading his wife at a birthday party. and Which and... leads me to my next note. Nick needs to chill on the singing. <laughs> Look, Mr. Cage, I love, or can I call you Nick? <laughs> I love you. But you got to chill out. This I movie mean, was a while ago. It was. I understand that. I'm just saying. Maybe you've realized this since then, but your 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 singing is not. I mean, I'm not a good singer, so you know this comes from a place of just trying to help you out because your career can. I know it's struggling, <laughs> but I might just want you a little bit on the singing. It's not your strongest attribute, and maybe you realize it because I haven't seen you sing in a movie in a while. But you know. That's my plea. It didn't bother me. I thought it was cute and sweet. It's not something I would ever do, um, but I thought it was cute and I liked it. And I think it helps show the relationship that could have been with the right. two of them, which is what he needs to see. In that exactly. Moment. Yeah. What they could have had and the type of person he could have been with those connections. Right. You know, because this is from a while ago and Arnie's there and some of the other friends are there. Like, like I said earlier, like this is a tight knit group of people who have each other's backs. Yeah, it is. You're right. My next note is wipe your face, kid. <laughs> I don't really know what the context was. This the chocolate was? milk, the chocolate milk mustache. Yes. yes, that's what it was, because like the kid just has milk all over their face and they're just like they're just keep talking. And the director isn't like, can you just like in the scene, wipe it off your lip. They just let this kid keep going with milk all over their face. And like, maybe that's cute to somebody that has kids. I think it but... was intentional. I think the idea was supposed to show like how he's just like, not really on top of it yet of being a dad. Cause normally the parent would be responsible for helping the kid out. The kid needs help to wipe their own face. I mean, No, but the parent the kid would, is like... like 20 years old at that point. Or how old? I don't know. Kids. Maybe they were like eight. But either way, they're not, you know, if you think I'm a little concerned that you think that uh, we're not going to go down that road. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, one of the I, things I don't like about kids is that they're constantly moist. For so, like, all of the parents have... out there, I would just like to offer and extend an apology to you, Ryan, uh, that you had to see the scene. Thank you. <laughs> uh, my next note is that he just spent the kids college funds on anniversary dinner. So, yeah. So when he's trying to like woo her back earlier in the movie, 
they mention that uh or like he's trying to buy that suit right and she's like go ahead go ahead and spend the kids college funds on on the suit go ahead and he doesn't do that but then he goes and like does this huge elaborate thing where he's buying this crazy like high dollar food like what he would have eaten in his other life he's using some of the knowledge from his other timeline mm-hmm. uh as far as like what good foods what good restaurants stuff like that to kind of woo her in this timeline and make things better with a very very expensive restaurant and some other stuff and i mean my only thought was that if they didn't have the money for a twenty three hundred dollar suit how are they going to afford you know a thousand dollar restaurant bill plus whatever else they did on the date yeah i mean it was probably like a 500 dollars dinner because they didn't go with the bottle of wine he changes that order and so they didn't do that so it's probably like a 500 dollars dinner but they do stay at a hotel downtown that right probably, that's a huge like expense that probably would have been a fairly expensive hotel so a thousand dollars for the evening i think it's probably reasonable and maybe i'm wrong maybe somebody out there knows what restaurant that was supposed to be and can be more accurate. I would be more inclined to say that the hotel room was more expensive than the restaurant. So uh, you're, he's probably, I mean, I don't know. I don't know a lot about prices back in 2000. I wasn't renting well, rooms or buying dinners. I think the McDonald's. big difference, <laughs> I think the big difference here though, between that anniversary celebration and the suit is that the anniversary celebration is about the two of them connecting to each other and, you know, finding romance and doing something to strengthen their relationship together. Whereas the suit, I mean, let's be fair. The dude works at a tire place. What is he going to do with a $2,400 suit? I'm not debating any of that. I'm just saying if they didn't have the money, they had to pull it out of the kids college funds to buy that suit. I think she was being a little hyperbolic. It's just like a thing that I think you say in those situations, like, ah, the kids don't need a college fund. I don't know that she was necessarily being literal, as much as being, I mean, we don't know. We don't know their financial situation. They're I guess not as rich. someone They're who driving grew up... a '90s, you know, Dodge Grand Caravan, right, rusted all the hell and will not start half the time. I would certainly not say that it was fiscally responsible for them to do that, but I don't think that they emptied the college fund to do it either. I think that was a little bit of her being, you know, exaggerating to make a point. As someone who came from families that did that. <laughs> I Fair think enough. that's just that's what it felt like to me. My next note is that is a huge office. I don't recall. I believe this was when he went to the office to try and get his job. Oh yeah, in this timeline, yeah, and he, he's in like one of the he's in like the CEO's office or something like that. Well, that office, was no, that was Jack's office in the right, original in the timeline. timeline. That's his office, but now it's Alan's office. And it's huge, and it's basically like an apartment or like a large apartment. It's, it's pretty got, massive. Yeah, yeah. It's got all kinds of crazy stuff in it. That's like, why do you need that in an office? But, well, so th- that was supposed to show. So to me, because if you if you look at both versions of the office, there's Jack's version of the office and Alan's. Jack's is basically empty. It's just got his desk, right? And I'm sure those chairs were probably still there. But like, it's basically just an office. But for Alan, the key difference is Alan prioritized his family. Right. Jack didn't do that. So the company didn't do that. Alan's in charge now. Alan's got kids. So there's a bunch of stuff because I guess his kids are probably there sometimes yeah. when he's working with his kids there. And I think that was just supposed to show that kind of dichotomy. It makes sense. Um, Diet Coke again is my next note. <laughs> right. Because this is when this is when Jack pulls his little stunt where he knows these guys super yeah. well alan and uh, peter's the guy who owns the company 
Um, it's and... a little callback to that earlier scene showing the Diet Coke. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Also sponsored by Diet Coke. Anytime I see that kind of product placement that's based <laughs> or like any kind of scene like that that's based around a real product, you know that they paid a lot of money for that. Yeah. Although it's weird that it was Diet Coke and not regular Coke, but whatever. I mean, I don't know. It was 2000. Maybe there was a big push for the diet sodas back then. Probably. You know, uh, uh, aspartame wasn't as popular, so they were trying to push it. I don't know. So um, they, they offer him a job. Well, sort of. They sort of offer him a job at that. Like, that hasn't really happened yet, though, because, like, I think what's important is the scene that where Alan and Jack are alone. Yeah. And Alan kind of tells him, like, you better watch out. And I'd like that scene. And it comes back later at the end of the movie because Alan, it just like just how Jack's life had a different potential to it. If he had not stayed in London, Alan's life has a completely different trajectory. If Jack doesn't stay in London yeah, and it's, it allows Alan to be a more confident, more direct person who's running this company essentially. And yeah. Okay. We can quibble over a difference of 8 billion, right? 122 billion versus 130 billion, right? For the merger or whatever. But like, clearly this is still a successful organization. Right. Alan's able to handle it versus him being this timid guy when Jack's in charge. I really liked that they were showing that there was more than just Jack's life here that was being impacted. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. That was, it was a little deeper than a lot of other movies that are, that are like this mm. um, in that sense. Um, but yeah, they have that confrontation and, and then uh, I think it's the next scene. Uh, Jack takes uh, his wife to the house that he, that they're like letting him use, I guess, in this position, which seems insane to me. This guy you just hired, that was a tire salesman. You're giving him this like mansion in New York. I think it was. Yeah. Um, in Manhattan. And they're having a, they're having a discussion about this, uh, you know, what their life could be. And at one point he says that, uh, that fine, we won't live here. I'll, we'll just, we'll keep our house and I'll drive here every day. And she says, that's an hour each way. That's like three hours a day. And I'm like, uh, don't think the math checks out. She says over an hour each way. Okay, well, apparently my subtitles were wrong then. So yeah, the subtitles were not great. The subtitles were yeah. not great. It just seems like bad math. So that's I guess on the subtitle people. So they've been now, sacked. It is an interesting argument because they're in the Northeast, regardless. Like right, they live in Jersey in this timeline. We lived in my family lived in Long Island for a little bit. We've lived in in Princeton, New Jersey, and places in Pennsylvania. It takes a long time to commute. I remember in Long Island, it took my dad forty five minutes to drive five miles to and from work. So, like you know, I think that that wasn't like super crazy. Millions of people do that commute every day. So I don't think it was outrageous for him to suggest it. I do think that it was wrong of him to take this job or even try and get this job without talking to her at all. Right. But to be fair, this is a person that didn't have this life and then got forced into this life and has been in this life for like a week at this point, maybe. No, no, no. It's been a while because this movie takes place over the course of almost two months. Oh, okay. Well, okay. So for in two months, maybe he doesn't have, he still maybe hasn't learned all the nuances of what it's like to be married for a long period of time. I mean, I don't expect him to get the nuances, but accepting a job in a different city where the fa- where a family has to move, I don't feel like it takes a brain surgeon to realize maybe I should talk to my significant other. Maybe not, but I mean, he's, <laughs> it, 
I, it's I, a he, common... he came from a life where that he didn't have to answer to anybody. So I can understand that he's, you know, struggling. It just showed that he's struggling still. And he wants the best for his family, but he's still struggling to kind of figure out what the dynamics are in this situation. I guess maybe I'd give it a little more slack if it wasn't such a common problem in films where like a person just goes and does a thing with zero communication and that's the problem. You know, it's just it's a very common writing decision in film and in television, especially like if people just talk to each other for five minutes, most of these stories would be avoided. That's true. You know, my next note is walking dog in the street again. (laughs) Um, I think I can't remember if it's this point. Basically, he has another conversation, I think, with Don Cheadle and maybe you can correct me if I because I I sometimes have trouble remembering the sequence of these events but uh where he's realizing that now this journey is over and that he's going to be back in his old life and so he walks this dog and uh lets it go I think no no so okay so the he finds cash in a different convenience store um, there's a g- woman or a girl. She seemed kind of young, maybe like 13, 14 girl um, who, you know, she's paying for something with a dollar. He think he's pretending it's a 10, seeing if she'll be honest and get and, and mention that the change is wrong and she doesn't. And so that's like his thing, right? As he tests people, right? Are people worthy of, of, you know, seeing what could be kind of, kind of thing. And that's when they meet. And then he realizes this is the end of it. So yeah. So he goes home and you know he sees the kids and spends time with the kids and wants to spend time with his wife and the dog and it's very kind of sad and morose it's a really kind of depressing part of the film where it's like he's been given a terminal diagnosis and he just he knows he's only got the night right and he's desperately trying to keep himself awake now for the dog part i think he was just letting the dog loose in like a park area for a little bit is what that felt like for me i didn't think he was just abandoning the dog it was just a weird scene. It was weird because we don't see him do that at any other point in the movie. Yeah, it's just kind of ambiguous what's going on. But I mean, you're probably right. It's just like <laughs> we both looked at each other when we watched it. and We're like, is he just letting the dog go? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, yeah. And and when he gets back, he like just sits in the room staring at his wife, trying not to fall asleep. But eventually he does fall asleep. Um and he wakes up in his old life. Um, and and just kind of, yeah, it just kind of to kind of, you know, get to the good stuff. He basically goes and tracks down his ex in this timeline. And, and I uh, guess it's important. We never pointed out that in in the family timeline, she is a pro bono nonprofit lawyer. Yes. Right. And he works at the tire place for Ed because at some point Ed had a heart attack and he stepped in to help the family business continue and then never left. So that's the family timeline in the in the quote prime timeline. The thing that happened. Right. He's this, you know, hot shot Wall Street guy. She is a for profit lawyer. Right. But we don't know that. Not yet. Until the end of the movie. But uh, and she has reached out to him. Right. He, He gets a phone call at the beginning of the film. And his boss is like, you don't know, you don't. Yeah, it's been more than two years or eighteen months. Three, or something three years. Like that. He makes a, we- a kind of a weird comment. He's like, you treat you treat exes like tax returns. You keep them around for three years and then you t- you cut them loose. Right. 
Right. And I, I don't know that I remember that quote because it didn't really sit very well with me. It kind of made Peter seem like a slime ball, which he doesn't seem like at any other point in the movie. It just was so that one line really stood out to me. Otherwise, yeah. he seems like a nice guy. But, you know, yeah, it's a weird line. But you, I don't do we ever really find out why? Oh, yes, because she has a box of his stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, she uh, she he goes and finds her because she left a message or something earlier in the day for him. And she has a box of his stuff and she's getting ready to move to France. I think it was or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she's like on her way out and he's trying to convince her to stay and like go on a date (laughs) with him. And he chases her at the airport and like, eventually, you know, we're not going to go through everything, but yeah, that, that she decides to go on a date with him. And then the movie kind of ends during the day. They have a cup of coffee at the airport. But I don't want to gloss over the airport scene because I think while it's a it's a really powerful scene, it's well done. The cage is really good in it. It is really emotional. It also strikingly shows a big problem with the narrative that I can't reconcile. So he gets to the airport. He stops her. She's going to just go anyway, you know, and he's trying to trying to figure out ways to keep her. So he starts explaining their life together that he experienced that didn't actually happen. Right. They have a house in Jersey and he talks about the kids and he mainly focuses on Annie because the other kid, the boy, I think like he's he's like an infant. So he's really focusing on Annie and all these wonderful things about how incredible this kid is and how just amazing she is and how much he loves her and all of this stuff. And that's kind of what brings Kate back to to have this coffee with him and miss her flight. But no matter what happens here, no matter what decision is made, no matter if they end up together or not, this girl can't exist. And their life can't exist that way. They're both rich in this timeline. They're both very wealthy, successful business people. And 13 years has passed. If they have a kid now, it's going to be a different kid who has a completely different life. And so this whole movie, we spend this whole time going on this journey with Jack so he can learn what he's missing in his life. And what I learn is he's missing more than just Kate. He's missing this entire life, this middle-class life, this working a normal job, having normal friends, having a bowling team and going to you know holiday parties that are friend parties, not work parties, right? Just having a normal life. They can't have that in this timeline. Right. So the end of the movie, I guess I don't know what lesson is supposed to have been learned here. I think the lesson that was supposed to be learned is that there is more to life than just working all the time because they make a big point in the beginning of the movie that even on Christmas, he's expecting his people to work and and everything else. And I think the big lesson is that there's things more important than work and, you know, that, that it's okay to take a day off and, you know, experience something real versus something work related. Yeah. And I agree with that sentiment. I guess I just, it just feels I think you're taking it too literally. Maybe, you know, it's not meant it's meant in a broader term. So you're painting with a wider brush than, you you know, you know, you're not doing fine detailing. You're just painting a much less detailed picture, but you know, yeah, it just feels almost cruel to like have this guy fall in love with this life, but he still can have a wife and he still can have kids. Yeah. They're not the same life and the same kids. He has experienced that. And so he realizes that, everything is you know that those things are valuable and even if their life is different that it can still be better than what he has now 
Yeah. Okay. And my last note on this says, wow, airports used to be weird. <laughs> but also, I want to point out that, you know, despite what we, that conversation we just had, he's actually getting a better life now because now he's rich, she's rich, and they have no kids, which is great. And for you, <laughs> I mean, they're basically they're going to move to France. Basically, everything is better for him in this life. He how do you know they're going to they're, how do you know they're move to France? Mustaches. How do you know well, that? Well, maybe they're not. I don't know. She has a job offer there, so I'm assuming But he's, he's got a job, here. job and, Yeah, but he doesn't that's not important to him anymore. Oh, I so now see. he's going to go to France with her. And you know, that in my mind that's the way it was going to be and maybe that's not how they intended it. But uh, you know, so there he, he's going to have this perfect life living in France with this beautiful wife and all this money and no kids and he's finally going to get to live his life and enjoy a little bit. Maybe they'll have kids in the future, maybe they won't, but you know, he finally gets to slow down and have have this perfect life. Theoretically. Yeah, it, it ends very open-ended, right? We don't know if she stays. We don't know if they end up together or not. We just know that he tried. Yeah. You I mean, I, I, I think it was meant that way. You know, we can fill in the blanks yeah. uh, on our own and kind of interpret it how we want to interpret it. But uh, yeah, in my mind, now he's getting the way better life. He gets a Ferrari and no kids. Well, I think the Ferrari was towed. Well, he could buy a new one in France. <laughs> he could buy a new one. I think the Ferraris are more, they're, they're better in France. <sighs> okay. I think they're the same, but. Well, the steering wheel's on the opposite side. That's true. That's true. Probably. I don't really know. I'm not very well traveled. <laughs> I know. You don't even know what a tire shop in Jersey looks like. Apparently. I need to go to Jersey and shop <laughs> for some tires. I need six sets of snow tires to shove in my garage so <laughs> that my right. car can go outside. But that's the movie directed by, by Brett Ratner, who gave us some classics like the Rush Hour trilogy and the third X-Men movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, listen, this was maybe his best movie. It I mean, might, I don't know. Rush, really Rush really Hour and Rush Hour 2 I did like, but but uh, this this movie ha- was a definitely like a deeper movie. And I think a lot of people kind of slept on it. But I think it has its merits uh, over similar movies, you know, that have been created over the years. I liked it. I did. And with that, it's time for us to actually put the movie on our cage meter So we've got two different things that we rate our movies on. We've got overall quality. Is it a good movie? Is it a bad movie? And then we have our caginess. How crazy, cagey, quirky, cagey did he get in the movie? And... Those are both scales zero, uh, zero to 20 to kind of give us some room because he's been in over 100 movies. We don't want everything on top of each other. So, Ryan, where would you put the quality of this movie? 20 being the best movie you've ever seen. I don't remember what I rated. It could happen to you, but probably pretty similar to that. I Um, think it's you gave it a 12. Yeah, I was going to say 12 or 13 would probably be right around where I'm at with this movie. I thought it was good quality. Um, You got to pick a number. Okay, I'm going to go with a 12 then. You're going to go with a 12. Okay. Yeah, I kind of feel like this one's going to be right next to It Could Happen to You, unless you score it wildly different than I do. No, that's fair. I, I, I'm i going to give it a little bit of a better score. I'm going to give it a 14. Personally, I really so like So you it. enjoyed this more than It Could Happen to You. I definitely did. I thought it was fun and endearing at times and just really, it was really emotional. Like it really, I, I, 
it was it extremely, resonated with you. Yes, thank you. That's it resonated with me. I found it extremely believable. And I thought that the two of them were a really good couple and just hit all really good notes across the board. So fair enough. So we averaged that out to a 13. That's a 13. Um, all right. So then we've got the caginess. Now, this one's a little bit harder for me because I don't know necessarily that he got particularly cagey. He got upset a couple of times, but that's well, not there's the same a few thing. scenes where like he's dancing and singing opera in his underwear, which that's is it, it was a little cagey. Yeah. Um, I think there was some caginess in this movie. So, you know. Just a little I, bit. Yeah, you, you, this is the one where you go first. So oh, I'm going to try and influence first. your decision on this one. Well, let's see. I mean, I'm I, more than, you know, most of the movies we've watched, but less than a few of them. So I'm going to say a 10. I think that's fair. I mean, I, yeah, it wasn't like every single line that he said was laced with, you know, that snark or that whatever you want to call that, that caginess that he has. But uh the scenes that he does do that in were pretty cagey. And so, yeah, I, I would probably put it in the same place. I was thinking right in the middle, um, you know, it's okay. not free of cage, but it's not full of cage either. <laughs> cool. All right. So a 13. Or, it's not cage free. We should not, say. This is not a yeah. cage free film. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so that's a 13 on quality and a 10 on caginess. So that's good. All right. So that's our cage meter. And then last order of business is we have to find out what movie is going to replace the family man on our wheel. O cage. So every week we spin the wheel. O cage. It's got 18 Nick cage movies on it. And it tells us what we're going to talk about next, but we got to replace the movie we just talked about. So fingers crossed for Willie's wonderland. Here we go. Here we go. Replacing <laughs> the family man is moonstruck. Okay. That, moonstruck. That's acceptable. So, you know, uh, go to comingofcage.com to find our Wheelo Cage spin videos where you'll see me spin the Wheelo Cage and we'll find out what movie we'll talk about next on episode nine of the show. Ryan, anything else that you'd like to talk about this week? Nope. I think we're good. I think we covered a lot of stuff. I was excited to talk about this movie with you. Yeah, it was fun. This was a good conversation. It was different. I felt. I felt a lot better about this movie than some of the other ones that we've watched so far. So. Despite it having weird consent issues, like every, yeah. almost every other movie we've talked about. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a weird movie at times for sure, but I think we both liked it and agree. If you haven't seen it, I think it's worth a shot. I definitely do. It's, it's it absolutely. Um, but anyway, I'm Derek. That's Ryan. Go to comingofcage.com to find all of our episodes and find out what we're talking about next and talk to us about your favorite Nick Cage movies. Send us your memes and your strange, you know, whatever's that you have with Nick Cage and we'll, we'll post them around. Um, and that's it. That's all we got. So we will catch you all next week. Thanks for listening. Give me that chocolate cake. <laughs>